clean, outcasts, they keep their distance. Like the obedient religious folks they are, they don't want to compromise the man Jesus whose holy reputation appears to have preceded him. They're doing what they've been taught to do by their scriptures and their ministers, their parents and their teachers. Unlike the bleeding woman earlier in Luke who sneaks up behind Jesus to touch his robe, these lepers make their appeal from a respectful distance rather than ask him to come close or to touch them or allow them to touch him. They ask Jesus simply to look on them with compassion. If you could at least look on us, notice us, have compassion on us, mercy on us. Part of the good news today is Jesus does. How many packs of lepers, for they often traveled in packs. How many packs of lepers did Jesus pass in his travels? They never asked anything of him. He perhaps just saw them as part of the scenery. But today Jesus sees them. He, he honors their good religious manners. He does look on them. He perceives their suffering. Then he gives them the following instructions. Go show yourselves to the priests. So these ten lepers, responding to Jesus' specific instructions, take their marching orders and go to show themselves to the priests. But a fascinating thing happens. As they make their way, somehow, all of them are made clean. They haven't gotten to the priests yet. Nevertheless, as they're walking, one of them loses his rash. Another's festering complexion clears up. Yet another feels the pain of her boils subside. And still another can feel the strength returning to his body that he hasn't felt in decades. And it all happens after Jesus speaks the words, go show yourselves to the priests. Go and be made clean, he says. Go and participate in the God-given rituals of your faith. You want me to see you? Now I see you, but now I say go. So they go in obedience, in faith. They do exactly what Jesus asked them to do. Except for one. There's always one. Always one guy in the group who wasn't listening when the teacher gave the instructions. It is a law of nature that if someone is giving instructions to a group of people, inevitably someone is going to go and immediately do the opposite thing that the teacher said. No, 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 don't run to third base. I said run to first base. I was a t-ball coach in the spring. <laughs> it was a great gift that first day when no one ran after they hit the ball across second base into the outfield. But in this case, the one guy who steps out of bounds, the one guy who breaks the rules, this one dude who drops out of the pious pack, 
who only seconds after being told to go and show himself to the priests, defies Jesus' orders, turns right back around, praising God, and closes the previous respectable distance to drop to his knees within inches of Jesus' feet. This guy is the only one found to return and praise God. And, Luke says, with a sly grin, he was a Samaritan. That explains it. That's why he didn't follow the rules. He's a Samaritan, which is to say he wasn't raised right. He doesn't know any better. We should have known as soon as he turned around, this foreigner wasn't one of us. And oh, how humiliating it is that the only one Jesus says has been made well is the one who turned around and did what he wasn't supposed to do. Made well, which is to say, uh, saved. The others, they've been made clean. It's fine. They're clean now. They can, they can join society again as, as normal, do-gooder, church-going kinds of people. People who just keep following the rules, keep showing themselves to the priests. But this Samaritan, he's not only been made clean, by the end of the passage, he's been made well. Saved. Now this story can get you into trouble. Or I should say it can get the preacher in trouble. If I'm not careful. Still plagued with your illness? You must not be grateful enough. Still suffering? Maybe the gratitude you've offered so far hasn't been genuine enough to get you healed. Maybe you should pray to Jesus a little more often. Be on your best behavior a little while longer. Study a little harder to pass the AP morality exam. Put a little more effort in. Give it time. You'll earn your way into God's favor. You are so close. But then again, remember, the other lepers are also free from their disease. Their disease has gone away. It's done. Their leprosy has vanished. They're all released from their suffering, outcast status. All ten of them receive something precious that they didn't earn. But these other nine haven't shown their gratitude. They have taken grace for granted. They just go on going to church and doing as they're told, following the rules, living their new sanitized and disinfected lives. Don't ever drop to your knees. Don't get too loud with your praise. Don't emote or make a big deal about what God has done. You didn't do anything to earn the disease. Now that it's gone, things are the way they should have been anyway. Now, how we do take grace for granted. The difference between the Samaritan leper and the other nine was not that he was a Samaritan, and they weren't. It was that out of these ten people, he was the only one to show gratitude. Just to say thank you. It was the well as the last one to recognize the source of his grace. The last one you to expect. He was the only one 
who recognized Jesus as the high priest. Who goes to the, high, who goes to the priest when the high priest is with you? We'll always have the priest with us. But the Samaritan sees the high priest in Jesus. He sees that the one through whom God saves the world can save him. So I just want to pause here and take a moment to say thank you to this Samaritan. Because I am almost certain that had I been part of this pious pack, I would have been one of the folks that just kept on walking, doing as I was told, not to lose myself in the grace and the celebration, the incredible power of God in my life in that moment, and to let myself go and to raise my voice, to prostrate myself, to humble myself. I'm sure I would have been part of the pack, following the rules, going to church, going through the motions. So I just want to, and this, I have to be frank with you, this text was really hard for me this week, and I still feel like I haven't quite cracked it all. There's so many rabbit holes I went down. Uh, I've been planning this sermon for months, and it came to Friday, and I was still wanting to tear out my hair, <laughs> really. I feel like I was so distracted by everything in this text, but the simple fact that here is someone who was grateful for their life and they expressed their gratitude to God. And that that was an extraordinary difference between him and the others. So extraordinary that it had a saving effect on his life. There are those of us who, who are accustomed to grace. There are those of us who recognize the drama and the power of the grace and the impact and the difference that it's made on us. We're all fine church-going people. We're all, I suppose, rule followers in our own way. And yet here's one to whom we can be thankful for setting an example for us for what it looks like to really respond to God's grace. So let's thank God for this Samaritan and for all of those who were so unaccustomed to God's grace that they remind the rest of us to return and give thanks. When I think about the most grateful people in my life, almost all of them are folks that I would judge to have very little to be grateful for. The folks that I have encountered in my life who really lose themselves in expressing their gratitude to God, almost all of them are poor economically or socially or in poor health. But how many times have I as a pastor sat at the bedside of someone struggling for breath and they whisper words like, thank you, thank you Jesus, thank you God. How many times have I walked into the home of a poor person who poured out their heart to me, shared their life stories with me, of tremendous struggle, huge mountains to climb. And when I ask them how they've done it all, they say things like, 
I'm just grateful that God gave me life. I'm just grateful that God gave me breath. I think about my uncle. His name is Tim. He's had so many struggles in his life. He was injured as a child. It affected his ability to learn in school, to read, to get a high-paying job that he would have otherwise had. He has worked so many odd jobs. He's worked for the DOT. He's worked for the city. He used to go around sticking his hand in those water meters. He said he's gotten bitten by black widows no less than three times. He can hardly feel his right hand some days. And yet every Halloween, I mean every Thanksgiving, every Christmas, every Easter, he shows up with abundant gifts for the whole family, whether it's venison for Thanksgiving or mistletoe that he's shot out of trees in the woods to bring to us as gifts for Christmas. And now, you know, he's the minister in the neighborhood in which he lives. He has no seminary degree. He has no ministerial calling. But when anything goes wrong in Redbud Circle, they call my Uncle Tim. When anybody needs their gutters cleaned or a tree trimmed or a birdhouse built, or, or a ride to the DMV or to the gas station, they call Tim and he's right there. He was right there this summer when my grandmother had her heart attack. He was the first responder. He got to her door, he cradled her, he got her dressed. He was standing beside her right when the paramedics arrived. And he stayed with her all the way to Duke University Hospital. When I think about someone like Tim who's been through way more than, I'll, uh, than I can ever imagine going through in terms of suffering in my life. And I think about the people in my life that I want to imitate as a minister. I think of Tim. I think about all the times in my life when I took grace for granted. All the friendships that I've had in my life, people who made me who I am, and how it was years later after my wedding that it finally hit me. I actually had 12 honorary groomsmen in my wedding. What an extraordinary gift. It makes me into a confessional person. It makes me regret sometimes, even though it was really funny, that time I put the obscene bumper sticker on the back of the church bus <laughs> on a youth trip. <laughs> I mean, what was I thinking? <laughs> and yet the youth minister gathered me to himself said, I know you're responsible for this. You don't even have to confess. Where there's smoke, there's fire. You still belong. And by the way, have you ever considered 
you might be called to be a minister. (laughs) I think about all the gifts that people have given me because of people like this Samaritan who never would have imagined have been the first in line to give thanks to God. How we do take grace for granted. How accustomed to the unassuming grace of God are we? And yet what an amazing miracle life is. Just to be born is grace. To be able to see is grace. To be able to think is grace. To be able to walk is grace. To be able to breathe is grace. To have one good friend you could trust everything in your life to is grace. To be loved is grace. To live free is grace. To live uninhibited in our gratitude is grace. To be lost in wonder, love, and praise is grace. To be called up in the prayers of God's people, the Psalms, is to be called up in grace. Have you ever noticed how almost every single psalm ends with thanksgiving and praise to God? And how the book of Psalms itself ends with five psalms devoted wholly to praising God. It's as if we are designed to give thanks to God. And that is our whole purpose in life, is to recognize that what we've been given was not earned, but grace. You know, we've been talking together as a church about how we can share the grace of God that we have come to know here with others in our community. We've been teaching deacons and other leaders to think about what their elevator speech might be. An elevator speech is the way you sum up something about something else to someone who's standing right next to you and you have very little time to say it. You imagine yourself standing in the elevator with someone who's a stranger to this community or a stranger to the kingdom of God or a stranger to the knowledge of saving grace of Jesus Christ. What did you say if you had 30 seconds? Somebody asked me, why is it that you, why is it you go to church? Why is it that you go to that church? After struggling over this text, I about decided that my elevator speech is going to be just one sentence. I go to church because I need a place in this world to go and say just as regularly as I breathe, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you.